My name is Philippe Lesseur. You are listening to Creative Show for On The Rocks. Hey, everyone. My name is Ben Consoli. I'm a director and owner of BC Media Productions. And this is the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. So today we're talking to Philippe Lesseur. He is the director of photography of the new Apple TV Plus feature film, On the Rocks. And uh, this is actually a collaboration with A24, which is one of my favorite movie studios, and Apple TV Plus, which I adore, as you guys all know. Um, and it's an interesting conversation because Philippe, you know, the whole film is shot in New York, um, daytime, nighttime, interior, exterior. And we talk a lot about just the challenges of shooting in New York. There's, there's so much to it that a lot of us just wouldn't know unless we went through the experience. Um, and also, you know, things like how to make New York a character, how to bring a new perspective on it cinematically, because there's so many shows and, and films and movies that are shot there. How do you bring something unique to it? Uh, and of course, working with Bill Murray, um, Rashida Jones, uh, Marlon Wayans, and director Sofia Coppola. So there's so much to talk about with Philippe, and we're going to get to it in just a couple of minutes. But but before we get there, I want to encourage you guys to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I also want to thank our sponsors, MZ Education for Creatives and Post Lab, Stress-Free Collaboration, and Final Cut Pro and Premiere. We're going to be talking more about those guys later in the show. But for now, let's dive right in because we have so much to talk to with the Director of Photography of On The Rocks, Philippe Lesseur. So I'm here with Philippe Lesseur, ASC and AFC. He's the director of photography for On the Rocks on Apple TV+. Philippe, I saw the film this morning and it's so good. I mean, it's got so much heart, so much warmth to it. It looks incredible. So congratulations on such a great film. Now, I know it was directed by Sofia Coppola, so I expect nothing less than greatness there. Um, but this wasn't your first film with her. And I'd like to talk to you about kind of how you met, how you began your relationship with her, and what brought you to On the Rocks. Uh, my first uh, relationship with Sofia uh, was uh, probably uh, 11 years ago, or probably more than that, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, I was shooting with Wong Kar Wai and, uh, uh, in China, and uh, I received a, a call from uh, my agent to shoot with Sofia and, uh, in LA for, uh, for a, a Dior commercial. And mm -hmm. this call came from Sofia because um, she was working with Ari Savides uh, uh, for the last uh, 10 years previously. And I met uh, Aris long time ago also, and we, we started to become friends. And, uh, uh, and once uh, Aris was in, uh, in Paris, and we shot on, uh, almost on the same stage, so we, we decided to take a, a picture together. And uh, it was a Polaroid at this time, so I took a Polaroid and I kept for me, and I sent a copy to him. And, um, and when uh, Sofia was uh, uh, in 2012, uh, looking for a cinematographer, because uh, Aris was starting to be very sick, Iris didn't remember my name. And uh, the only thing he remember was uh, the picture we took together. So uh, he remembers that he has this picture in this office, so he has the, 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 to take this, to have this picture and to find who was the guy with him on the picture. Oh, wow. 
So, so Sofia reached me by that because by Iris, I would say. So it was a great honor and a tremendous, uh, lovely moment for such a talented man, I would say, and, and lost because he's probably was the best cinematographer at this time and probably he, he still is the best cinematographer, I think. So that's the first time I met Sofia in 2012. Now, we've got a question here from Jaden Marvel on Twitter, and he wants to know, how was it working with Sofia Coppola again after The Beguiled? Now, you know, The Beguiled is a completely different looking film. It takes place at a different time period. It looks totally different. So what was that transition like from The Beguiled to On the Rocks? It was uh, it was very challenging. I was uh, uh, first the tone is completely different. It was uh, between uh, 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 a drama period drama, you know, 1900 and uh, and after uh, a period movie uh, uh, in New York. So the feeling was completely different. The tone was completely different. So the approach has to be completely different. But I was struck by uh, the sensibility of Sofia with her uh, with um, the character and uh, I found that it's something very interesting to explore the journey of the woman mm-hmm. and the boundary of this woman uh, so 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 that was uh, my track I would say to have a different approach and of course you you know that you are shooting in in New York and you can hear New York behind my back so uh, so you know the feeling especially as a foreigner you know, when you arrive in New York, the first thing you are, you know, you, you, you see in the city that uh, the beauty of it, but the, the stress of it, the, the landscape, the vertical landscape, and uh, and uh, as a reference, the, the first thing you could remember as uh, a cinematographer uh, is probably uh, Manhattan with uh, Gordon Woodis, you know, and and Woody Allen that uh, uh, film shot in uh, in New York. So you're wondering how to shoot New York. For sure, how to shoot this uh, woman's story and how to shoot New York because New York is a big part of the story in this film. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there are so many films and TV shows that take place in New York, shot in New York. So, like, how do you bring your unique perspective on New York to this film? But the, the, refer- the reference for me, because I, I took a lot of pictures in New York before, so uh, it was uh, it was really the landscape. Is the question was is always a question how to shoot the verticality of New York when you shoot on the ground level. Mm. So that that was the main question for me because as soon as you put the camera down and you frame 185, and you know, Manhattan when shot in cinemascope is about even worse, but the, the, the beauty of Manhattan, it was fantastic. So, uh, so that's the that first question, and I, I found it was more interesting for me, for us to shoot the, uh, the still, the metal, the urban uh, feeling compared to the romantic feeling of of uh, of, uh, of Manhattan, of New York, of rural in general. So, uh, discussion with Sophia, we did a, she did a mood board, I did a mood board on my side, and what was my feeling about it, and how to bring the story together with uh, with New York, that uh, to avoid, in certain sense, uh, the, the romance of it, to avoid almost the last Woody Allen movie, I would say. Mm. It's not because, is that not great? It's just because is the feeling was completely different. It's interesting to me to hear you say that you were kind of avoiding the romance of Manhattan because 
I mean, there's quite a lot of romance in the in the in the film. Um, so what how how did you come to that decision? And I guess what does that mean to you? As a foreigner, I didn't see the romance of it. And uh, and based on the on the story, uh, I, I found it was more about the loneliness of this woman. Mm. And and uh, um, if I, if you if you're thinking about uh, all this all this type of story we've been writing before, the first thing is come to me uh, is uh, for probably Antonioni. And you think about La Notte, if you think about uh, the Red Desert. So that was the feeling about for me, for example, you start the story of like the Red Desert, you see the contradiction between, or the contradiction and the boundary between, you know, the architecture on the Red Desert, Antonioni movie, and the feeling of this woman. So I was looking for something like that. Yeah, and now hearing you say that it does make a lot of sense. There is a lot of loneliness in the film and in, in that main character, um, her name is Laura, I believe. Yeah, yes. Uh, yes, played by Rashida Jones. So yeah, there is a lot of loneliness in that in that character. So that makes sense. But um, I want to talk a little bit more about something else you said about filming in New York is um, the, the vertical nature of it. Like how do you capture the, you know, the height of New York, the vertical of New York on film? So overcome is to uh, is to you need to have a vision of uh, of the city by the for the high point of view and, uh, and by the loneliness of this person by the scale of it. So if you mix a different shot between uh, close together and the scale of the city, you need to, you give you start to give a sense of uh, of the loneliness of this person. I never approach uh, uh, this film as a comedy. I would say. Mm. Uh, and in look as a comedy, you knew that uh, uh, Bill, with a charming character, will bring something on it. But I didn't read that way. I found, uh, uh, even I was thinking, uh, did, uh, I didn't know Bill. I found that, oh, he's going to be surprising. He's going to bring a, a lot of you know, different and a lot of, uh, um, lot of uh, happiness of it. And... Uh, and when you look the thing closely, you notice that he's very attached to a daughter, and and uh, it's completely different between uh, Lost in Translation and uh, On the Rocks, and uh, that's something more unique and human humanity on this approach to uh, Rashida Jones in a certain way, I think. And uh, I didn't see it's funny because the dialogue make it funny sometimes, but, and uh, the character by Bill, but that's something very touching about him also. And in certain ways, they're also lonely on a different world. I mean, clearly working with Bill Murray, you're going to get excellent performance, no matter what. And he's going to kind of give you his, his personality, what you expect from Bill Murray, but also implant it into this character that he's playing. But is there, and, and part of what he brings is a lot of heart. Like his performance in this character, there's so much heart in there. And you really, despite his shortcomings as a person, as a father, you really love him. Like you feel for him when you watch this film. Yes, yes, yes. Obviously a lot of that is in the performance and certainly in the directing. But what do you do as a cinematographer to bring that kind of warmth to a character? Uh, I think it's. I think it's more. Uh, I think is a uh, the warm. I think is coming from the uh, from the director mm. at first, and uh, how she treat uh, overall a story. Uh, if you notice, uh, uh, 
what I didn't notice uh, necessary uh, when I watched uh, her first movie, but working with her, is that she liked to be with a character. She's never away from the character. It's very difficult for, uh, for her on the scene to say, I'm going to start with a master shot. She's avoiding that. She wants to be with the people. She wants to be inside the mind of the, of the character. So they have no distanciation or no... Um, uh, they are no, never like... Uh, 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 we are never pulled away from the scene. We are inside the scene, always. So as soon as she starts a scene, she wants to be on the scene. So the, she, she tried to avoid all established shots. And that means at the end, the character, uh, the approach of the character, you know, are different. You know, if you, if you look really closely, the, the shot, every time how she starts a scene, she's inside the scene. Mm. We never have great master shot with a lot of it. Very, 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 very rarely. Because aware of my point of view, and I've been talking to Sophia on the pre-production because we talk about the script and we spend time reading the script and say, so, and I was asking to Sophia, how you feel about this scene, how you see this scene? And sometimes she knows exactly, and sometimes, you know, she wants to see the actor on the set. She's, most of the time she says, I want to be with her. I want to be with Laura. And, and, and so the approach for Felix, uh, Bill Murray, is the same. So the warmth uh, come together by this way. If suddenly, you know, you start to move your camera all around your character, you can be distracted it. And she doesn't want that. Hmm. And I did notice that watching it. It almost feels like a play in a way where you don't, where it, it, there's so much dialogue and you're really sitting in this moment with these characters. And it really didn't have those big establishing shots, like you're mentioning. Very few large master shots. I was actually wondering if if you shot them and then just decided not to use them or was it the plan all the time? And it sounds no. like it was the plan all the time. It was the plan all the time, yeah. Was well, kind of what does that mean to the viewer? Like, how does that change the experience to the viewer when you don't have those master shots? I think it's a, it's a, it's a, you are completely with a character. Uh, so you are with a story. So you are not destroyed by the technique. Uh, you know, because the question, for example, if you have 10-page dialogue, when you have a scene like that, you have 10-page dialogue around the table, uh, the first question uh, is going to be, are going to be bored or not? When I'm, I'm looking the scene, how many, how many close-up, how many reverse, how many, how many shots you need for that? You know, ten pages a lot. So some director will say, "Oh, I'm going to put a, a round track around the table, or I'm going to have a maximum shot to uh, to be able to cut it uh, if I want to." And uh, and she doesn't want to do that. Mm. So it's a, really a reflection about you know. Uh, for her, uh, how you you want to feel the character or not, and if you want to be distracted by the camera, is a very small camera movement inside the film, and the big guy too. Even the big guy is you know, most of the time is static, but uh, on that one, she because it's a conflict for her overall in general to have a camera movement. She's wondering suddenly you see the when you, as soon you start the camera movement, you see the power. Of the director, almost. Mm. I insist to, uh, I, I, you know, I, uh, with Wonka, I always the camera was moving, so it's really a matter of decision, of of a point of view. But for her, it's something very distracting, or too insisting. You see, a uh, uh, emotion of the character 
overall in general on Earth film are very subtle. There are no, there are very rarely emotion scene. Uh, uh, you see, for example, the scene at the end uh, with Bill and uh, and with her husband. She tried to avoid cry. She tried to avoid fighting. She tried to avoid because she don't like it. So that's something she always wants to keep uh, on the line in a certain way. Mm. So that means same for the camera. So the camera doesn't push. Uh, what is the experience like working with such a, you know, with the, working with a director like Sofia Coppola? I mean, she has such a clear and distinct vision to her films, and it sounds like she's very much involved in all aspects of it. What is that experience like for you as a director of photography? Uh, in certain ways, she, she, uh, she's very involved with it, but she gives a lot of freedom of it. Mm. So, uh, uh, for example, uh, on the pre-production, uh, of course, we decide about location and, uh, and, uh, and, and the look of it. But the look of it, it came by, uh, by me to do a, a lot of tests, camera tests. Uh, choosing the lens, choosing the film style because we shot on film, and uh, that uh, that give a look to the film. And after uh, we agree overall in general how to shoot the film, how to she accept proposition. She said no, I don't feel it, or uh, this is a good idea. But most of the time, when you're on the set, um, is a, is a, you discover. Uh, after reading the the scene, you need to bring the the actor on the set to see how they move it, how, mm. what do they want to do, where I should put the camera, and how many shots I need to do, uh, what would be the coverage. And that has become a discussion of the political. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about working with Bill Murray. This was your first time working with him. Yes, yeah. Yeah, what's the experience like? What's he like? Oh, he's very, he's very sweet. He's, very, uh, he's a very nice, he's full of surprise. And uh, he's, he brings to the set something uh, very light. In he's very he's very concentrated, but he brings something very. Uh, the energy is very uh, is is very beautiful, and he brings surprise to the camera, and uh, that's very light for you know, to for a cinematographer to see that. So the beauty of it, I would say. So he brings a lightness to the set, a silliness to the set, something. Um, I also heard a story about him shutting down production because he got a little bit too excited about driving that car. That's correct. <laughs> what happened? What's the story? <laughs> I, for, I forgot that. Yes. Yeah. No. But I don't. I, I, I don't know exactly. But I, I think it was uh, because when we do, we did the, the chase, we have only like uh, six hours to shoot it, something like that. Six hours in the middle of the at night. And uh, at one point, you know, the, the police give you four blocks and they give you four blocks. You know, you go five blocks, that become a problem for them. Mm. And he didn't stop. He was driving the car, he didn't stop. <coughs> and the car was very noisy. It was all cars. So he didn't stop. So at one point, the police said, it's enough, done. We are done. Oh, no. <laughs> and just... we, are, we are still to shoot. It was still night. We were still to do shot. But the police said, we are done, done. That's it. So they gave you four blocks. That's all you had to work with for the entire yeah, car chase scene? I think I think so. Yeah, four or five blocks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It was very small. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sur- that, now I don't know. I mean, is that is that 
less, more? How does that compare to other films? No, it was very difficult to shoot on that. On that. On that. On that. Essentially, because the short of time we have to shoot all this scene. Yeah. Because you want to bring a lot of coverage, and uh, so uh, no, it was it was very difficult to to shoot that way. Yes. Aside from the amount of time you had, what were some of the other challenges you had for that scene? Uh, the challenge was to uh, the good thing. Bill is a very good driver. So it was easy for him to, to, to be around these 10 people, to move the car, to go fast, to accelerate, and to be funny. So, so that, that, was a, that was a good surprise. But um, uh, uh, Sophia bring her brother to help her to shoot uh, the scene. So we figured out with, uh, with Roman and Sophia where to put the camera, how many cameras. And, uh, and Roman have a good idea to bring the, from, uh, from California the biscuit rig. So what is that? Can, what is a biscuit rig? The biscuit rig is a, instead to have a process trailer, or oh, it's always very slow, or you put a camera on the truck and it's very slow. So the biscuit rig is based on uh, on the, you put the, the car on the on the, a small chassis, if I remember, and somebody else is driving the car. So you feel that the, uh, Bill is driving the car, so they can go very fast and accelerate and decelerate, and you just have a car mount on the car, and you can have the, the, the precision driver on the front or on the back, of the, and very quick, you can change the, the, the position. So it's an amazing toy hmm. so to shoot with. Yeah. That helps a lot to have these toys yeah, compared to a, a process trailer. Yeah, especially with so few hours to do this. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Because it was always a discussion, uh, because we shot the film on film and not on digital, so it's always a question of uh, of time and uh, shooting on film requests in general more light and everything. So I did a, a lot of tests to for her to say what would be the best solution, and I, I ended up to say I think it's more interesting for for the film to keep shooting on film and not on digital, and even to pull the film stock. Uh, 50 to 9, uh, 19 to uh, 250 ISO to have less grain, uh, more uh, more detail on the black and a highlight, and to shoot on film with little light. And uh, uh, of course, you know, with uh, with this rig and everything, you could, we, we could go faster at the end. Shooting on film is, you know, we don't hear a lot. We have a lot of cinematographers on the show, and most of the time you're hearing... Alexa, you're hearing um, Sony Venice. Um, you don't hear a lot of films and TV shows now being shot on film. How did you come to that decision? Uh, because uh, I love film, of course, but Sophia wants to shoot on film. So it was so her it was, decision. Yes, it was her decision. Yes, so there was no discussion about it. So, so uh, I did some tests with the Venice and compared to film, but I... Uh, I say to myself, so we don't need to see, uh, we don't need to see uh, the night like a daylight. I don't need to see that. Yeah. So film, the, the city is brighter than before. They they change all the the, the also sodium vapor by LED light. So the city is brighter overall in general. So after a test, I say no. I think it's more interesting to keep shooting on film. Yeah. So she came to you and said, "I want to shoot this on film," but you did test the Venice just. Just to see, uh, just because I, I was curious, I was like, okay, yeah. so what do that? Because I, uh, 
big part of the film was at night. I was I was curious uh, what would be the advantage for me uh, as a as a cinematographer for projection value or not, or, or, or aesthetic value or not. So so you question yourself. So I did I, I did some tests at night yes, to compare the both of them. So what film stock did you end up deciding on? Fifty two nineteen and fifty two thirteen, I think. Yeah. Hmm. How did you come to that? Oh, is a I test everything. Yeah, <laughs> I test lens, film stock, process, push, pull, yeah. normal process, and you watch it, and you say, I think that you know that better for the film. Well, you had a lot of nighttime scenes. Yes, I mean yes, you were yes. you were in the city at night for. Quite a, quite a bit of it. I mean, a lot of it takes place at night. Dark yeah, restaurants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the, the, the beauty of, uh, of, uh, of the fear and the process uh, where, where I finished with a super speed uh, Panavision lens and, uh, and the pool uh, one-stopped uh, almost everything. Let's take a quick break and talk about MZ. Now, MZ is education for creatives, and that's perfect for the Go Creative Show audience and for me and for the whole team behind the scenes here. We are the perfect people for MZ, and it's the perfect time for MZ. Now, MZ offers hundreds of hours of high-quality, video-based filmmaking education in all the topics that we want to know about, directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. And you can learn more about them at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. Now, they've got amazing courses. Now, here's the thing. Education is only as good as the educator, right? I mean, if you have a horrible teacher, it's very difficult to learn. But with MZ, they have the best of the best. I'm talking about educators that you know and love and that are actually working in the industry. Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom. In fact, one of their newer courses is, uh, is really interesting for editors, it's the art and technique of film editing with Tom Cross, A-C-E. Now, he was the editor of Whiplash and La La Land, like the award-winning, award-winning, Oscar award-winning. Editors, directors, filmmakers, I mean, that, that's the high-level kind of, you know, educators that MZ has. And that's why I love those guys. Um, so you're going to learn really good stuff that you certainly need to know it's going to make you better in your craft, in your career, and you're being taught by people that are in the industry and successful in the industry. That's what it's all about. Now, you can buy individual courses at mz.com, but I suggest you become an MZ Pro member because with that subscription, you get access to hundreds of hours of this stuff. Hundreds of hours. And that's exactly kind of the way that we want to work these days. I mean, everything is a subscription service. You know, an MZ Pro is kind of fitting into that model. And it's great. It's so nice to just go onto the site and be able to just click on anything that you see. It's fantastic. And I suggest you do the same thing. Now, how do you get there? Well, it's easy. GoCreativeShow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. Go there, check it out, become an MZ Pro member, and you will uh, learn and become better at your craft. And um, I just so highly suggest it. The, the courses there are just excellent. And it's all there at GoCreativeShow.com forward slash MZ. Can you talk to me about the challenges of filming in New York? I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people may not have had that experience in the first place of filming in New York. They may be more familiar with Los Angeles or other cities around the country. Um, but what are some of the challenges about shooting right in Manhattan, right in New York? It's extremely complicated. 
Really? <laughs> Why? What are some of the complications? It's, 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 very, it's very challenging. One, uh, one because uh, the city gives you a certain permit and certain time. So mm. it's very challenging for that. So the city gives you the permit. Uh, I don't remember exactly, but you know, like three weeks before to shoot. So you can get the permit. You can have the thing, oh, we love to shoot there, but they have the idea of red zone to not allow too, too many shoots, you know, in the same place. So, and after you have to deal with uh, with uh, with all the shops, the restaurants, all of this. And so you have to go door by door to say, can I shoot there? You know, we're wow. going to shoot there. Blah, blah, blah. And I remember the first day of the shoot, uh, we scout this, this street, you know, probably a month, a month before and uh, for the first day of the shoot. And... Uh, and probably two weeks before the shoot, the uh, location, I uh, go to, you know, every shop saying, we're going to shoot there, this is the money, thank you very much, you know, it's going to be uh, two hours. And I went turn, uh, a, sh- a sh- flower shop was not happy about it. She complained about it. And so she she went to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, she said, I refuse, blah, 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 nobody can shoot there. And so she put big sign on the street that so we decide just to death before the shoot. So we have to shoot on the corner. We can't shoot on the street anymore. Wow. And it was very it was very simple. We have to do just Laura walking on the street. Very simple. Very simple. And suddenly you saw you change the idea. You, you know, say, and suddenly, so we're gonna shoot there. So and but under the corner, the girls start to put music. And on the middle of the shot, somebody came with a chevalet painting, put a chevalet in the middle of your shoot. Oh, painting. my God. And you say, do you mind? You know, we have to shoot that. Do you mind to go to the other side? No, no, I want to be there because you, you, you have to let the people know whatever they want to do because, you know, it's a, it's a, free, it's a free city, you know. Yeah. You can, she didn't want to move it. So on the shot, you have the girl painting on the, <laughs> painting on the <laughs> with a chevalet. No, but suddenly you say, that's insane. So why do people have need to be so mad? Wow. So this wasn't, you weren't shooting in her floral shop. She, no, she, no, she's no, on no, the street. On the street? Uh, yes, on the street, yes. Wow. That, that's, that's New York. That's how <laughs> New York is rough. <laughs> so that, that is very, that is very challenging. But the beauty, what I found very, I would say what I found very difficult because one of the reference for me was, uh, I love uh, the movie uh, Cléo de Saint-Cassette with uh, Agnès Verda. And uh, the beginning of the movie is, uh, is very beautiful. It's, uh, it's a woman uh, uh, walking in the middle of the street during the 60s. And they have a lot of freedom about it. You can feel she's around with people, crossing. And the beauty of, of Maratam has the same vibe. You, you can see when you're in Maratam, the people crossing in the middle, you know, truck parking, taxi, you know, stopping at, 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 the, at, the, at this moment and everything. So to give you this alive on, on, on film is more difficult yeah. because you have extras. And as soon as you want to have people passing in the middle of the street, in the middle of the car, you need to stun people. You can do by, by uh, alive. So... So to give this vibe of New York is very complex because the complexity of, uh, of, uh, of the population, the variety of population, the attitude of the people walking on the street is very complex because you have all this uh, generation and, and, and people from, you know, the, the, coming from all the different countries makes it super rich. So to put back that on the on the on the film, that was a challenge. I was yeah, to have it feel and look accurate, you need a million people. You need a lot of. Yes, it needs absolutely. to be chaos. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You need to be cows because that's be- that's the beauty of a, of a, of Manhattan. Exactly, it certainly is. Um, I, I want to talk to you about your approach to lighting. I mean, there's the the film um, on the rocks is just it's so natural looking, it's so real looking. I mean, it doesn't look like a light was placed anywhere. It just everything feels incredibly natural. Of course, we all know that's, that's not true. the case. So I, I'd love to hear about your strategy for, and let's maybe just start with exterior since we've been talking about that for a while. What's your approach to exterior daytime lighting in New York? For me, overall, in general, uh, I tr- on the film overall in general, I, tr- I try, I start to want to be very natural. Whatever we are, interior, night, the exterior. I try to be as natural as possible. So we, so I always avoid, for example, kick. I never do kick in night interior. I never do that. Or, or it has to be from something very natural, a lamp behind you. So, and after you know, when you are outside, for me, it depends the place you have. You know, when I when I was on the big yard, I was using. A, Dino light with a three-color blue and big diffusion because I have the space. When you are in New York, it's a small place, so I use uh, uh, um, Sky Panel 360s or, or small HMIs. Or it's, it's a matter of place and the time you have. And, and uh, but for me, being natural is a is a that that always a challenge for me. That that for sure, yes. So th- sky panels outside generally yeah. giving you that big kind of soft. Yeah, key. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what about interiors? I mean, you're the during, uh, let's say, evening interiors. There's a lot of shots in restaurants and bars and clubs and things like that. Um, what's your approach to that? Are, are you more or less sort of lighting the environment practically in a way, like making it look great to the eye, or are you uh, bringing in some additional light just for their faces and their eyes and all that kind of stuff? I think it's uh, for me to give a, a feeling of depth in, the, in general uh, on the image. So it depends really of the location. Mm. Uh, it's always a mix. I pay always attention to to the to the actor and to the face. How to light the actor yeah. in general, because uh, I think it's very important for the audience. Uh, uh, the actor I have been lighting properly. Uh, on my view, so you are not distracted for that. So they don't have a, a, a terrible shadow or she, the Laura doesn't look older. Or the, that, that's a good preoccupation for me. And after, it's just the mood, what the feeling of the scene. And uh, uh, me as a character, if I was on this scene by myself, I'm wondering what uh, environment I would like to be. Uh, is uh, intimate, is is uh, is crowded, is uh, so that that approach of the light overall. But I like to respect the the feel of the location. And if the location uh, uh, have a problem for me, uh, I try to change it and to give more depth. I would say. Mm. Talk to me about your strategy for lighting faces, though. So, like when you're. We're looking at a location. You've got your actors on set. What are you looking for in their skin and their eyes? And how are you planning your sort of lighting scheme for that particular scene? 
Alors, it's, it's, uh, it always depends how wide you want to start because uh, if you have wide shot, you, need, you know that you have to bring the same continuity to the, until the end, uh, until the close-up, so I pay attention to that. So where are going to put the light and the way? And uh, I like, uh, over general, a uh, lot of diffusion in front of my light. So, uh, mm. so I pay attention. If I make a decision, I don't stuck at the end to the wrong decision. So I have to plan on myself and how long it's going to take. It's not only to, uh, for the pre-light or the pre-rigging, it's also when we're going to set up, how long it's going to take for me to do that. And, uh, and, uh, and it's not only the, f- the face is important, but also the background, the, the feeling of the scene. So it's a mix of, uh, of, of choice, but okay, I guess so any cinematographer, I would say. I, I don't look the, uh, the, I would say the set only as a wide shot. I know I'm going to have an actor in the scene, so I need to pay attention how I'm going to light them. Because you could do a light, a beautiful light, um, uh, 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 with no, no people inside, but I assume you're going to put people and you have a actor and you're going to have close-up, you know, how are you going to manage to do that? That mm. is always a question for me. Is there an advantage to being able to be a little bit closer in on the talent? Earlier in the interview, you mentioned how um, both you and Sofia Coppola, the director, decided that you wanted to avoid these big wide establishing shots and yeah. master shots, let's say, or wide master shots. Yeah. Is there something kind of more fun? Is there an advantage to that from a lighting standpoint, knowing that you don't have to worry about those wide shots? Oh, for sure. That changed completely the idea of your lighting. Imagine you're in the restaurant, you say, oh, I want to start the door. I'm going to do a tracking, goes passing the people, and they are sitting... So you avoid, of course, a lot of problem uh, for sure, but uh, that's for sure, yeah, yeah. Do uh, you yes, enjoy, like, is it more fun for you to do something like that where you don't have to be thinking about a long tracking shot or a super wide shot? No, I think uh, uh, I love, uh, uh, what I was working with Wankawa, we did a lot of uh, uh, wide shot and master and everything, and uh, so I think it's really, it's depend really of the of the mise en scène of the of the direction of the director. I think uh, there's some beauty of the of the master also because uh, you feel the the uh, ambience of the of the place. But if the director doesn't feel she they need it, they, they don't need it. You know, I'm not going to push for it. You know, I think because at the end that uh, her story, you have to think, for example, the director like Wong Kar-wai and uh, and Sofia Coppola, they are writing their story. So they they've been living with the story for months, years, sometimes. So you have to respect uh, uh, the vision of the director and to bring, uh, to bring them on the play they feel comfortable of, uh, about it. So you, you need to show a lot of respect, compare. I don't, see, I don't say that I don't put respect to people that don't write a script, but you know, you know where it's coming from. Yeah. You know that you know, a story about a woman uh, raising kids and uh, by herself and uh, with an husband uh, absent, that's something deep inside uh, Sofia. I think that shows a real... Like, I mean, that, there's like an incredible respect there and also restraint in a way. I mean, cinematographers, I can see it even in the work that I do. You almost like want those big wide shots. You want those big establishing shots because you just love the locations. You love the art design. Like you want, you want that from a visual standpoint. And 
to choose not to do that is that shows a lot of restraint, I think, for cinematographers in particular. I think that uh, because you have to, uh, with Sofia, to respect, and I think with, uh, with any director, you have to respect their vision. Mm. Me, you know, for example, for a film I shot six weeks, I spent uh, uh, eight weeks on preparation. But the director spent a year to think about it. Mm. And of course, you know, as a cinematographer, you can bring ideas, different vision, and, and, and good surprise, of course. But uh, Sophia, she's good also to say, she doesn't say no, but she say, I would love to, to be that way. And, uh, and you have to be respectful for that. Don't try to sell something that she won't be happy about it. Are you going to lose you know, so much time to try to sell something or to do something that at the end she will not be happy about it? You know, and, and it's weird, too, because when watching the film, you, you always know where you are. Like, you, you don't really need those wide establishing shots to know where in the city you are. Like, something that was kind of unique about it is because you don't, you're not constantly reminded of what the exterior looks like or what the large scale space looks like in these restaurants. You almost don't care. And it also makes things feel familiar. Like it could be any restaurant. Like it could be a restaurant you've been to. There's something that makes you more familiar with these environments when they're tighter. You can relate to the home that they live in. You can relate to the restaurants they go to. You can relate to the, to the sidewalk that they're talking on. Because she she doesn't try to sell it. Yeah, she doesn't try to sell it very hard. Something she wants she wants to make sure you believe this story. That's it. That's her point. So uh, sometimes you have problem of uh, probably of transition. You know, when you're going from one scene to the another scene. But it's a very I will say is an American point of view overall in general. Very traditional point of view about master shot. If you're working with a uh, completely different uh, 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 foreign director with different background and culture. For example, when I was shot with Wong Kar Wai, we never start with a master shot. We start with a close-up. Mm. Because for, for him, for example, the emotion was more important to be treated first and after to try to do a master shot. But do we need to have an established shot of a role in general for, for, for beginning of each scene? Not necessary. Probably most of the time in America, yes, but uh, for different culture and movie, not at all. Mm. So, uh, so I never, I never on myself push. Oh, we need to see where the restaurant is on the city. Frankly, I don't care. Mm. If it doesn't bring something to the story, I think it's not important. If you're bringing the feeling. Of the story, if you give you the feeling for the character, for the for emotion of the, of the of the scene, why not? But I think that's the point. But um, so that in the overall, in general, my point of view. So the fact that Sofia doesn't push for it, I'm not going to push for it. Yeah, I love that. Let's take a quick break and talk about collaborative editing in Final Cut Pro and Premiere. Now, anybody that edits, you know that collaborating when you edit is a little tough sometimes, especially if you're doing things virtually. You know, it was, it was one thing when I had my editor here over my shoulder and I could very easily watch something and just make a comment. Times are different now, right? Everybody's virtual. 
So you're going to be editing with people, you know, anywhere in the world, and you need to be able to collaborate with them seamlessly. And until PostLab came around, you weren't really able to do that. But thankfully, PostLab is here, and it's going to change the way that you edit for the better in a couple of different ways. First of all, PostLab gives you incredible access. Besides always saving your documents locally, it syncs all the changes to your whole team wherever they are. So you're no longer zipping and emailing documents back and forth. Those days are over. And also the days of broken files may be done as well because as you know, two or more people working on the same file at the same time is an accident waiting to happen. But what PostLab does is it locks it. When somebody's working on a library, it locks it from the other team members. And it also shows you who's doing what so you can keep track of everything. And lastly, it's something they call Time Machine 2.0. Now with PostLab, you can browse the history of each library, jump back and forth between versions and find the particular edit you're looking for within a minute and open it exactly how you left it, down to the blinking playhead. Now, if that's not enough, PostLab also just introduced PostLab Drive, which is shared storage in the cloud, and it's the only cloud that lets you play back media on your timeline without first having to download everything. This is a game changer. So if you do not know or haven't, you're not familiar with PostLab, now's the time to dive right in because with, you know, by being a Go Creative Show listener, you get three free months of PostLab by going to gocreativeshow.com forward slash PostLab. So head over there, check it out, get your three free months and learn more about this PostLab drive, which truly is changing everything. Um, and it's all there at gocreativeshow.com forward slash PostLab. Head over there, get your free three months. Check it out for yourself. It's going to change the way you edit for the better. gocreativeshow.com forward slash PostLab. Talk to me about the lens package that you selected for On the Rocks and why. Uh, but it's based on the I, I did a super speed, and uh, most of the time uh, we shoot with a uh, 40, 50, 75. I would say three lens overall in general. Mm. And uh, the super speed, because I love the, uh, uh, the softness and the quality of, uh, of the skin. I, uh, uh, and the highlight and the black I found between the process and the truth of the of the, uh, of the lens. So, but it depends also why T-stop you, you you shoot them. So, for example, in general, I uh, I I don't shoot with a, a strong C-stop. Even the even the exterior, I shoot uh, between the two weight, the exterior two weight and four, the maximum. But the most of the, the rest I shoot at the T2. Mm. So that becomes the look of the film because it depends. If you shoot a film this length at T5, 60, 11, it's, it's a completely different lens. It's a completely different uh, texture. So for me, at the end, it's more the, 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 the texture uh, of the film you get at the end. Yeah, and, and so much of the film has very shallow depth of field. You're really being drawn into individual conversations, whether they're across the table at a restaurant or, you know, two moms in line with their kids at school. You really are playing with large spaces, but narrowing the focus into a small section of these large spaces. Um, that was something that I felt when I was watching it. It probably... Uh, uh he may uh, distract people, some people. 
I, I don't I, I don't say I'm right. Huh? It, it may be a problem from some people, but uh, on my vision, I don't see the problem. So it may be a problem from some director, maybe a you know for or for some audience. But I always try to focus on the uh, for for the actor and. Uh, and but I think I've been fascinating uh, overall in general, and not particularly for this film, but uh, um, for me, it's to, uh, for the painting and the, and the large format uh, uh, photography. In general, they have a very, very shallow depth of field. So I think my love of this, uh, of, uh, of uh, for example, if you think about Caravaggio or, or Rembrandt, or you've seen the, the, all the... Uh, the beginning of the uh, 19th uh, color photography. Uh, uh, I love texture and I love I love uh, shallow depth of field that make in general my approach of of, of lighting and uh, uh, of course you know each film have a different look and uh, you have to respect that and uh, each director have a different vision. Um, but uh, that's my love for. Or what I do, so to make something different, it would be very hard, I would say. While you were filming, did you know this was an Apple TV Plus film, or was that something that they bought afterwards? Uh, no, the film was supposed to be a release. Okay, okay. So, so is there anything that you would have done differently, knowing no. that it wasn't going to have a theatrical <laughs> release? Okay. No, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, it, I, it, I, I do, I do... The reason I ask is because when I when I'm watching this film, I, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm watching this on a phone. Like, how unfortunate is I'll that? I'll kill you. You know what I'm saying? I know. No. It, it's like it's like I want to see this on the big screen. Yeah, I mean, at this point during COVID, oh, I, I want to see anything yeah. on the big screen. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I feel like this movie and just the texture of it and the the fact that it was shot on film and just the quality of it, it really lends itself to that kind of big screen experience. But with Apple TV Plus, of course. It's made for devices and, you know, your TV. I, I, can't, I can't think about when you start a movie, how it will be shown, because it's become so complex at the end. Even as today, for example, I'm, I'm talking to you today. We discovered with Damien, my colorist uh, at the mill, who is fantastic, and I did the big with him, and I did La Traviata with Sophie Coppola with him, that he discovered that the, what you see on your computer is not right on Apple TV for On The Rocks because mm. the compression was not right. They did a mistake. So tonight is going to be upgrade for something different. Really? Yes. So me, so if you have a, a HDR TV, this is perfect. If you watch on your computer, until now, it was not perfect. That's so, so crazy. I mean, it still looked amazing. Yeah, but thank you. But so... I can't control everything. You can't control how is it going to, you know, every Netflix has a compression system, Amazon has a different compression system, Apple has a different compression system. So you can control that. Even the movie I did with Ronkawa, the Grandmaster, you know, uh, one year ago, I, I, they put on Netflix and I say, why is it so green? I send a, 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 a silly image to Ronkawa, he say, I don't know. So you don't control and we grade it until the end, but the compression, who's in charge of it, and all. 
they sell it, you know, how is it going to be this film in two years? Uh, who, who's going to sell it? Apple decide to sell it to somebody else. Mm. How do you know they need to make sure the compression is right? It's very difficult. That's a huge problem, I will say, in post-production or at the end, because you can give them a, a, a very good master. You can control the master, but you control until the end what you're going to see on your on your on your on your iPhone, that's very complicated. And and uh, how is it going to see in France? How is it going to see in China? How is it going to see in Asia? You have no idea. Mm. So to put on my mind before I start to shoot, where are the people going to see it? No, it could distract you. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's going to distract. You need to focus on one idea because is 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 on your mindset you know so because it would be it would be a it would be too too complicated well don't get me wrong i mean i think it looked phenomenal on the phone i mean i'm looking at it on a on an iphone 12 pro i mean it looked it looked incredible good job iphone 12 yeah exactly no but you know what i mean it's like it it, it just I think, you know, I'm an older gentleman at this point, and I remember the days of going to the movie theater. And I think that there's, I mean, the convenience of Apple TV Plus is perfect. And if you have an amazing TV, it's great. Um, Like I said, it looked incredible on the phone. But just curious if there was something that you would do differently knowing. And it sounds like there isn't. And I like that. No, no, because... I think it's, it's too complex because imagine you start your post-production, yeah. you start you 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 start to test and you say, okay, I need to talk to the people in charge of Apple TV and how you're going to do the compression and and you and frankly at the beginning of your movie, you don't know exactly how the the film is going to be. Yeah, because it's always the moment you start a movie, the first day of the shoot and how you finish the movie, I always find you do something different. Mm. Because you understand more and more the character of the movie, how you're going to shoot it. They have an evolution on your uh, on your side and uh, with the director and uh, uh, the meaning of the of the film by himself. That you, you you change, you have an idea, but you slightly you have a different idea at the end. So to do uh, to do some tests, you uh, you will spend your life to do some tests. I will say. Well, you've sparked my curiosity now. Was there something different about how the, like, did it, was there something different about the way you shot it, the way you lit it, the, the way you approached it at the beginning versus the end with On the Rocks? Uh, probably, yes. Did- I don't remember, but probably. No, it, it will be very hard to, uh, to uh, no, because the, the question, the question, for example, uh, what I did uh, when, I, when I did The Big Isle, uh, uh, I was using uh, to be able to to do the color correction uh, because we they scan it, you process the negative, you scan it, and when you scan it, they send you an example of, of the scan, mm. and you uh, you have an iPad calibrated by Technicolor, and uh, and uh, and you receive the image, and you you co- do the color correction on the image, and the grader do the do the dailies, and. Uh, and at the end, I have a picture on all the scene, all the close-up, all the white shot, and everything. So mm-hmm. I, I start to put it together, uh, like a storyboard. Yeah. The meaning of it. How do I shoot the scene? How is it going to be the next scene? Uh, how was the previous scene? And you don't shoot in order. But at the end, in the middle of the film, you have a sense of how many white shots you did, how many close-up you did, how did you shoot it, how did you light it? You, have, you, you start to have a sense, and it's always wrong there because uh, we talked about it. We don't do master shot. You don't do wide shot. 
And, I, and you, you question yourself, do I need a wide shot? Or do I need more close-up of Laura, for example? Or do I miss that? So the, the, the question is not only the light, but it's also the tone of, the, of the, what could be the film and also on the edit, what would be the, the, the rhythm on the, on the edit. And that, uh, so that changed your mind uh, until the end, how, what shot you need, how you're going to light it, and uh, how tight you need to be. In our last few minutes, I want to talk about the color grading process, your involvement there. Um, I read an article on Kodak's website that you were grading dailies on your iPad every night. Uh, so talk to me kind of about your the kind of post-production workflow. Film is done now. What was the next step? Uh, yeah, because uh, when I worked with Damien, we, we set up a look uh, at the beginning of the film, so about the, the color, how natural has to be, the, the texture I want, I want to keep. So we, we go back and forth uh, uh, together with an iPad and, and, and the dailies because I have a monitor at home looking all the dailies every night, uh, uh, calibrated by Technicolor. So uh, at the end, we receive the film and uh, we try to, uh, to be consistent uh, and uh, with the agreement with Sofia about uh, how the film uh, looked like. So it was, uh, we scanned 4K and uh, we spent uh, two weeks to, uh, to do the color correction. But I try in general to avoid uh, um, any uh, huge uh, uh, change on the, on, the, on the color palette or, or do some, a lot of window. I try to be as natural as I can. Mm. So for me, the, the, I, I don't diminish the work of Damien because Damien is excellent uh, and a very accurate uh, eyes for me. But we try to, to be close as maximum from the, to the dailies, I would say. Mm. Mm. So you're in New York right now. Are you on another film project or what's going on? Uh, a few projects. Uh, one with Sofia, but you know, with uh, one with uh, John Ilcott, but with a pandemic, it's very difficult to see, you know, how we're gonna when we can start to shoot uh, properly and uh, and uh, and uh, with the freedom we had before. That is a big concern, I guess, for producer and director. Yeah, and, and to have masks and, and uh, it's complicated to shoot for for crew, uh, director, actor. You know, for crowd scene, it's very you know it's very complex to to do actually a scene and a, and a movie. I think so. Um, I would say everything is in standby. Yeah. Are you were you in production and you had to stop it? Or were no, you, no, it's all pre-production. No, no. no, that's very, that's very sad for for all the people working on the film industry to uh, yeah. what's going on. I would say, and not only all of the. Uh, film industry, but all the cultural industry, the music, the opera, the theater. Yeah. This is extremely sad for all this, but I've been lucky enough to be able to shoot on commercial, but uh, for live performance, it's terrible, I think. Yeah, it, it just, it's awful, and it seems, it, there's just no end in sight. It's horrible. Yeah. It's a horrible time to be in those industries, my God. Yes. Yeah, now, do yeah. you do you live in New York, or are you there just for these projects? No, no, I'm, I'm living in New York. Yeah. You are, okay. Yeah. I mean, how, what is life like there for, you know, the working cinematographer? I mean, what what's life like now? I say, I'm sounding like a lot of people are sort of transitioning to commercials in the meantime. 
Uh, Army, uh, I was lucky enough to be able to uh, to travel to France, to be able to work in France. I work in Kiev, I work in uh, in Prague, I work in uh, I work in Lisbon. I've been shooting in in California, Utah, mm. uh, Colorado, and everything. I've been very very lucky to have uh, some work. I didn't shoot in New York yet, but they, are, they have the same restriction, and uh, everybody has to behave, uh, you know in a certain way, to make sure nobody's sick on the set. So you have yeah. to be tested, you have to be tested. And uh, I've been tested already uh, 10 times. And I know people have been tested already, especially in California, but like 20 times. Yeah. So, so it's that difficult. Yeah. Of all the places that you filmed in during COVID, yeah. where, I guess, where was the easiest? Where was the most difficult? I think that, uh, for example, I, I shot a Chanel commercial in Paris uh, two weeks ago with Sofia Coppola. Twenty uh, percent of the crew was positive. Wow! So we did a test two uh, seventy-two hours before the shoot. Twenty percent of the crew was positive. Oh my god! So, so I have to replace my AC, my first AC, uh, one day before the shoot. The second AC, I need to replace of it. It was standby on the set. And I have to replace it in the middle of the day because it was still positive. Oh. So AD was positive. Location manager was positive. But that was very, very, very complicated. That was very complicated. And the rule, the rule are the same. So it's more about the production overall in general, how they organize the set and the safety and everything. But it's, it's, it's about uh, the behavior of the, of the people. Mm. You know, so, so how you behave. You know, for example, when I arrived in France, I, arrived, uh, I was in New York and everybody have a mask. And when I arrived in France, in June, mid-June, nobody was wearing a mask. And they say, no, the pandemic is still there. So why nobody on the street were not wearing masks? And you see what's going on now in Paris. Mm. The lockdown again. So there's no surprise about, you know... Uh, Sadly, what's going on is the people doesn't pay attention. Mm. So I've been shooting. I have the same problem in Prague. You know, the people wearing masks in the shoot, or in Ukraine, the people wearing masks on the set, but nobody on the street. So, so you're not going to stop the pandemic that way. Mm. Mm. I found the most serious was uh, probably uh, California. Mm. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. And and are, what are people doing? Are you just making sure that your crew is Two or three people deep in each in each yes. role. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You clean your hand. You always clean your hand. You wash. You know. So yes, you wear your mask. You change your mask. And, uh, well, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well and working and keeping keeping going because it's it's challenging out there for a lot of us and it's just encouraging to see that people like you are out there kind of keeping everything moving along. Yeah, you're welcome. But you have to be. Uh, you have been. Uh, I say I've been very lucky to be able to work the way I work uh, the last six months because I know some people have it's been very, very difficult. Well, the movie is called On the Rocks. It is on Apple TV Plus right now. And it sounds like there's a whole new compression coming out today. So <laughs> yes, yes. So if, no. you, if you've already oh, seen no. it, you have to see it again. Uh, yeah, thank you. You have to see it again. On if you look on your iPhone, table people look in the iPhone movie, and on the on the computer, it's going to look different tonight. Hopefully. <laughs> well, another reason to check it out again. Uh, yeah. Philippe Lesord, thank you so much for being on Go Creative Show. The film is beautiful, and we. Well, I, I, I'm already looking forward to your next time back on the show. 
Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Philippe Lesore for coming on Go Creative Show and talking to us all about his work on Apple TV Plus and A24's On the Rocks. I really love this film, guys, and I strongly suggest you check it out. And hey, if any of you already have Apple TV Plus, then head right over there. It's available now. And if you bought any device in the past year, then you have Apple TV Plus. So chances are everybody out there has the opportunity to check out this film. And I suggest you do if you haven't already. I also want to thank our producer, Connor Crosby. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com and Matt Russell for mixing, mastering, and making the show sound so great. He and his team over at gainstructure.com can do it for you too. So check them out at gainstructure.com. And of course, all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. I also want to thank our sponsors, MZ Education for Creatives and Post Lab, stress-free collaboration in Final Cut Pro and Premiere, and encourage you once again to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And with that, we will see you next time on another episode of Go Creative Show, podcast for filmmaking.